if you ask a thousand founders what they spend the most of the time in in the businesses is just making sure that they have the cash there needed to grow the business and it's just annoying it has zero value but it needs to be done right so our goal is to put all of that on autopilot so that founders can just focus on what really matters which is creating a product and then putting that product in the hands of customers and keeping them happy all the rest should be automatic and we think that it can happen automatically on captures After raising $280 million in a little over a year after they were founded, this startup has some incredible knowledge to share. And today, I'm sitting down with CapChase's co-founder and CEO, Miguel Fernandez, to talk about how they're revolutionizing the fintech world by creating the NASDAQ for revenue. You're going to love the episode. So I'm super excited to be here with Miguel if you the CEO of Cap Chase, if you could just first tell us the most important question, which is what's your favorite coffee shop drink? <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, I'm I'm gonna caveat it. Uh I, I I dropped coffee a few months ago and just uh I'm just drinking matcha in the morning. So so yeah, it's another level. I recommend it to anybody. Um much more stable, um caffeine, you know, like high and like no jitters or anything and, and no crashes. So that's why I'm just drinking matcha. So matcha, I- matcha latte. <laughs> that's the best that's awesome man. well i mean another follow-up question like tell me like is there how much caffeine's in that are you still getting the boost that you need i think i'm i may be like putting more matter than i should i guess uh because i feel really awake even if i don't sleep much um but yeah like yeah the boost is amazing man like it's super super stable you know like you don't get the highs you don't get the lows it's just like steady steady state Awesome, man. Well, thank you. I'll, uh, hopefully, all our listeners will remember that. Um, and I, I definitely am going to take note of that. I got my coffee right here. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm <laughs> old school. But I mean, I, we're, we're super excited to have you. And just there's so many founders that are listening who are inspired by your story of success. If you just first could just give a quick highlight of just like, you know, the flashiness of just Cap Chase's success in this moment right now, because I know it's incredible. And then from there, we'll work back to your experience uh, leading up to founding CapChase, and then we'll start diving into the way you've been able to grow CapChase. Yeah, I mean, it's still super early days, right? We only launched the, the product, I think, well, late August last year, so less than 10 months ago. Um, but yeah, like most recently, we've raised 125 million CSA, um, led by QED, who is like arguably number one fintech VC in the world. And, and yeah, in total, we've raised around $190 million. We have like more news coming up soon. Um, but yeah, things are going like really, really well. Of course, it is just uh, an indication, you know, of, yeah, what, what, like the traction we have amongst funders, you know, what it means for them. So, so yeah, we're really excited. What, what we've done has been amazing, but what's coming up next, I'd say is just as cool even more. That is so exciting, man. Congratulations. Thanks. That's, that's, Thanks. that's a real, uh, yeah, I'm super excited to be able to just learn from your experience, and I know our listeners are as well. Last question in that light is how many, how many, how big's your team right now? We are approaching 60. And yeah, again, like we were like four co-founders a year ago. A year ago, like to the date, we had I think $25,000 <laughs> from from an angel, and we were working with one like super early customer. And now a year later, there's like 60 of us. We are present in I think over nine countries. So yeah, it's it's. It's been a ride and it's been going very, very quickly. And of course, like a lot of learnings in the process. That is amazing. So wait, you're saying you raised 190 million in 12 months, like from yeah. Zero- yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. So, so I mean, so tell me, just like fast forward or let's reverse, you know, five to seven years, however long. Like, when when did you first want to start to be an entrepreneur, and what was that first decision like to to found your first company? Yeah, so I think I always wanted to do this. You know, growing up, even when when I was a kid, my my father launched his own company. My grandfather was a serial entrepreneur, you know, back in the 1930s, 1940s in Spain, of course. So a different scale. Um, and yeah, and then I, you know, I, I went to, I, I studied engineering for undergrad. I did mechanical and nuclear engineering in Madrid and Munich. And then I worked in consulting for a couple of years. But, you know, that, I'm sure like a lot of people go into consulting after school, just to, after college, you know, just to, you know, learn how to work. That's all I got there. I always wanted to do things on the side. So I launched two, two other startups on the side. They never really got too much. I mean, a few thousand users in each case. In one, we lost a little bit of money. Uh, it was a peer-to-peer renting of sports equipment. And in the other one, which was kind of like a marketplace for up-and-coming brands, we made a little bit of money simply because the unit economics were really good, uh, you know, like no exits or anything. And then, you know, once I had that taste of entrepreneurship, I knew that I wanted to just grow things. So actually, in one of the projects in consulting, I met the CEO of a company. Um, we really got along. I ended up joining. It was pre-revenue stage. And I led sales. I was the first salesperson there. And then I led and built you know, sales, customer success, and eventually moved to London to open up the local team. And then after three years, you know, we experienced, as we scaled a company from zero to a few million in ARR, we experienced most of the pains that we're trying to solve right now. But only at the time, we just didn't, didn't know there were pains. I mean, that they could be solved. We're just you know, like dealing with them. And this was all the, all the pains around, you know, like how do you make the most out of your cash in a fast growing business? You know, like how can you, you know, use your customers to finance the business? How can you use your suppliers to finance the business? How to, you know, how the different ways of dealing with suppliers and, and customers affect growth rates, burn rates, runway, valuations, everything, right? So, you know, at the time we're just solving that with a bunch of Excel and a lot of talking among different teams. Um, but yeah, we didn't really know how to solve it. So then after three years there, I left, I got a really excited. I got a full ride to do my MBA at HVS, came to the U S in summer 2019. And then I came with the idea of launching something upon graduation, which would have been a month ago, but then I started speaking with founders and I started to understand that, Hey, there was like something to be done uh, around helping founders to get paid faster or pay later, you know, and then we looked at different fintech alternatives, different industries. And in the end, after four months into the whole research thing, in January, 2020, we came up with the idea of CapTish, which essentially was matching that big subject that we were exploring, you know, around um, helping companies with working capital, matching that with the pains that we felt previously in the other SaaS company. And then that was when we had an idea like, okay, we need to help companies offer flexible payment terms, but get all the cash up front. And then after speaking with a bunch of founders, we saw that actually there was something much bigger than that, which was providing non-dilutive financing to them to, to those tech companies using the future revenues of the business. So you know, like let, let's say a company with $10 million in ARR, you know, instead of having to wait to get that money throughout the following 12 months, they can just click in CapChase, you know, they click in a button and they get a third of that immediately. So that they don't have to dilute themselves or pay a lot of attention, you know, managing cash. We just take care of all of that automatically. And, and yeah, what happened is that we had to drop out of school. <laughs> we, we raised a round over the summer. We raised a seed round of a few million dollars from top investors in the Valley, you know, from like Blink Capital, from Max and Nelly Levchen, 
and then from retouching a caffeinated capital. And, and yeah, we dropped out of school, which was wild, you know, <laughs> to, to think about, about dropping out of HBS. Um, but yeah, then since then, the, since uh, the end of August, the business started taking off like crazy uh, in terms of customers, revenue, people, and so on. And then we raised more money in January. We just raised 125 million CSA. So yeah, things are, 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 are going well. This is incredible. I appreciate just that that over your overall story, man. It's it's I think it's so inspiring to entrepreneurs because I think and even I want to go back just to the beginning when you first. Um, now that we kind of have the timeline, I want to like tap into a couple different points of those to just understand like those decision points that you were making um, and, and why you were prioritizing to do it. So what what made you? Um, what was that feeling like when you said like when you founded that first peer to peer lending platform? Like. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, like how you were feeling as an entrepreneur, like, were you torn? Like, man, should I do this or should I go take another job? Uh, is there anything you could share about that first decision? Yeah. So, yeah, actually, you know, I was working in consulting, which uh, I mean, at the time it felt like, Hey, that was what I wanted to do after school because it was great to learn and so on, like prestigious job and so on. But I wasn't really like passionate about it. You know, like I was working with these large companies solving problems that I didn't really I care that much about. There were problems that I probably was never going to see if I ended up doing my own company in the future because I was just dealing with like 50, 100 billion revenue companies that have very specific problems, you know, and like solving very specific things. So I wasn't passionate about it. So, you know, like exploring different ideas, Airbnb was crushing at the time, right? And people were talking about the Airbnb for X, just like doing a bunch of different things um, for in, in like peer-to-peer -peer renting and lending and so on. So... So yeah, like I said, okay, I have this idea where like, I'm, I'm going to ski, you know, I want to rent some skis, but I don't want to deal with the shops. I just want to get it from somebody, you know, use the skis and then give them back to that person. Um, so yeah, with that premise, we started working on it, but the big mistake, well, the idea wasn't that good to be honest, but then it seemed very good at the time. We were very experienced, but uh, the big mistake was that we never, we never left our full-time jobs, right? So then we were seeing ourselves, you know, doing like, 60, 80 hours um, in our actual jobs, you know, in, in Australia consulting, and then like the rest working on the business. So of course, like the amount of reps that you can get in the actual startup were very limited. We're just limited to like working on the weekends and so on. Then we didn't have a lot of focus as well. We were trying to get people to upload stuff in Madrid, you know, which was where we were based. And then we had people uploading homes in Cuba, people uploading motorcycles in Vietnam. So it was like, it wasn't very focused. I don't know why they were finding us, but it wasn't very focused. So then, you know, after we learned more about the unit economics, after a few months, and a few thousand users, we decided that great learning lesson, but the next one, if we wanted to actually do it, we needed to dedicate full time. And then after initial traction, and then, you know, work on an idea that's, was probably easier to prove without needing massive amounts of capital, like like a two-sided consumer marketplace. That is really interesting. So I so I mean the learning lessons it sounds like are focus, yeah. going all in, um, and and just just more around that piece. Is I'm I'm just like thinking because um, you know you said that it was a bad idea initially. How can you judge the idea so quickly just with your experience? Because with Capchase, yeah. like. I assume that you knew you had a good idea in the beginning, but like how, how without a lot of data, were you judging that this is not a good idea and this is? Yeah, okay, so so in hindsight, it was not a very good idea. Maybe like, because we learned during the process that it wasn't that good. Um, 
I think that when we were thinking if it was a good idea at the time, you know, we're looking at, hey, we need to do surveys to understand if consumers would use this and so on, but we did it really poorly. We just did a survey that we sent over to our families, that our families sent it over to their friends, you know, so everybody knew that, hey, this is what Miguel is working on. And nobody wanted to say like, I would not use this in my life, you know? Everybody was like, oh yeah, I would totally use this, it's amazing. So we're just, we're just like fishing for the answer that we wanted, right? So if I were to start now again, that thing, what I would do is probably just put some ads, spend a few hundred dollars in Facebook or in Google, put some ads if people and see and test if people want to make money of the idle equipment, you know? And yeah, I would spend a little bit of money, but then I would actually know if people were ready to part ways with their stuff in order to, in, in order, you know, to, to get some like basic um, revenues from it. And, and yeah, I would have discarded probably much, much quicker. With captchas, on the other hand, we spoke with customers and we spoke with founders and every founder loved it. It was just like, I need this. Like, this is like the Nirvana for SaaS. This is amazing. Like, I, I want to stop dealing with banks and with like venture debt providers. That just doesn't work. It's not scalable. And this is the way that I can go from a Series A to an IPO, potentially without taking any more dilution, as opposed to the usual path, right? So it was like instant validation everywhere. Wow. Then yeah, you just you felt that difference. So the first the first version of of testing your idea was with family and friends. Exactly. And like, did you use an actual survey or did you like call them on the phone for the first one? No, no, no. We, we wanted to to be super scientific about it, so we used Survey Monkey. But I mean, again, like it wasn't really scientific because it was just our own network. That's that's hilarious. And then with Capchase, did you actually keep the same <laughs> survey approach, or did you just do more qualitative calls like this? We did a bunch of calls. Yeah, we did a bunch of calls, and I think the difference was that it was also with people that we didn't know. So people that didn't owe us anything, that didn't care if we liked their opinion or not. You know, uh, and that was, of course, like that was super validating because then it was just like, hey, call after call, people need this. We have to do it now. That is awesome. And so, yeah, that obviously solves for that that problem of just the the bias that you would receive. I get that completely. Yeah. And um, how did you get in touch with these entrepreneurs? So I was I was studying my MBA, right? So uh, student HBS has an amazing network. So I was speaking with professors. They would introduce me to other founders. I was just calling founders everywhere, you know, in the Boston, in the Boston area, in Spain, in the UK. So anywhere that I've lived, you know, and any, anybody that my my friends, my connections, my 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 LinkedIn contacts would know, I would just reach out and say, hey, like I'm just trying to find out if this is an idea that I should pursue or not. I'd love to get your thoughts on these three things. Um, if you have 15 minutes, I'll give you a call whenever you want. Yeah, oh, that's incredible. Yeah, you were you were literally just like living with the customer, like on the phone, just or Zoom or whatever, just talking to them as much as you can. Did you yeah. have a did you have a standard script that you asked them in that validation process? Yeah, at the beginning, yes, of course, and it was great. I mean, I, I think it's that's just a best, a best practice, right? You just need to have a script, not maybe not not to follow the script, but to actually think, you know, and, and reflect on hey, what is actually what you want to know, you know, like uh, and then like what questions will help you to prove the experiment or to discard it. So yeah, at the beginning we had a script and then, you know, after the first five calls, like you just, you just know, you know, like you just know the questions that you want to ask, you know, you want to learn everything about, you know, how they run their businesses and, and then it becomes very organic. That makes a lot of sense. Is there any of those, could you like mention one or two of the questions just to kind of give us an idea? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it was a little bit leading, right. But I would always ask like, as the founders of the business, you know, like, Hey, what was the, 
biggest limitation to growth, you know, or what was top of mind, you know, what's, what were they spending most of the time on? And inevitably, the, the answers to those questions was, okay, highest limitation to growth, access to financing. What keeps them up at night is like getting, you know, like all these companies have negative cash flows, right? So that it means that the runway is, is approaching, right? The, the end of the runway is approaching. So then, yeah, like knowing when to raise more money in order to not run out of money, all the time spent in preparing decks and preparing financials to go and go on roadshows to get investors, all that stuff was always top of mind. So then we provided an answer that was way better, you know, instead of going, you know, for three months to raise money, you click on a button and you get a third, sometimes a half of your ARR in one second, right? So it was just like for them, it was literally night and day. After a few questions, they they said that they needed something like what we offer without us even saying anything. That is so powerful. And so, and then of course, with your business, how did you validate the other side of it that lenders would be open to this kind of financing? Or did you did you know that that was already there? Uh, I mean, as, as soon as we started, you know, the business, we were trying to make it very balance sheet light. So we knew that lending from equity, equity is extremely expensive, right? Like the reason why founders use captives is because the equity is very expensive and equity has a cost of capital of 60% in the lowest case up to a thousand percent, for example, in our case, right? Um, so yeah, lending from equity doesn't make sense. Like if, if we raised a hundred million dollars and then we give a hundred million dollars to our customers, we'll be getting extremely low returns between five to 10% and our cost, our cost of capital, our equity would be a thousand percent, right? So it, it doesn't scale, it doesn't make sense. So we were also from the very beginning speaking with, you know, parties that would give us money uh, to advance to other entrepreneurs. So we were very naive. We're going to big insurance companies and reinsurance companies that have like negative cost of capital. And of course, they are also very risk averse, right? So we were thinking like, oh yeah, we're going to go speak with like these guys with Munich, with Allianz and so on. Um, and then we're going to get their, their, the money, they receive money to deploy. But they were saying like, guys, you need to prove this model before you come to us. So then we started looking at, okay, so what other riskier pools of capital are there that would give us money to, to test us to test this out? So we found, you know, high net worth individuals, family offices, hedge funds, and so on. And they give us the first money um, to advance to customers. And then it's just been like a capital markets game of um, setting up credit facilities on the back end to not lend from our own equity, which is of course very expensive. Got it. Got it. This is really good. Well, so, I mean, the growth you've had is just incredible. Is there something we can learn as, as a founder who's looking to prioritize our customer experience yeah. as a growth channel by just in, in the same way that Amazon has done and so many of the customers here at Zendesk, um, yeah. like Zoom, Slack, all those guys, is there something that you can help share on how you've been able to use the incredible experience you've delivered to your founders who are your customers to, to help grow as fast as you have? Yeah, I think that, let's see, like the customers, how do, I, how do I position this, right? Every customer, every company says that they are very customer centric, right? But from saying it to doing it, like it's, it's not that easy, right? Like sometimes, you know, things become more important, you know, like fundraising becomes more important or employees become more important, you know, like, so, so if you actually say that you're customer centric, you have to live it, right? So, so for us, like, I mean, again, we say that we're customer centric and we try very hard to, to, to live by it. So for us, you know, like we, we launched our first product. It was great for customers, but it could be improved. So then speaking with customers, actually like, you know, like once they were working with us, 
just you know conversing with them, understanding more about the needs and so on. And we, would, we found so many more opportunities that weren't solved yet, um, that were invisible when we started. That now, like those, that customer input is dictating what our roadmap looks like over the following months. Um, yeah, and that gives us an edge, right? Like because now, for somebody to catch up with captures, they would need to a start getting customers, b be super customer centric, and c find out all those insights that we have already from months ago, you know, and actually be able to action on them. So it, this, like, for us. And linking it back to Amazon, you know, and, and I'm sure that as Zenders, you have the same thing, right? But it's been all around uncovering flywheels powered by customer insight, right? Across the business. So, hey, for example, our first flywheel was we get customers that are really good, that have really good metrics. You know, we give them a low cost of capital, then they perform really well. That means that our capital markets uh, providers are really happy, it means lower cost of capital, which means that we can go to even better customers with better metrics, better performance. And this just accelerates like crazy. Uh, and now with, with like new products and so on, it's always customer feedback. You know, more customers give us more feedback. We can test things more. We can bring them quicker to market, get feedback again. I try super quickly. So yeah, it's been... That, this makes a lot of sense. And so and help me with how you were, first of all, getting that input from the customers. Was it, you know, going back to the same thing you were doing and getting on the calls with them and just learning? Or was it also like looking at the actual support or complaints or onboarding experiences that they're having? Very good question. I think that we have a, a long way to go there, right? We always say that we have like a few, like a few year old company in terms of revenues. And we are a very young company in terms of processes because we literally started 10 months ago, right? So, so yeah, right now, how we get information from customers is if you think about it, Financing, it is a really intimate relationship with a founder, right? Like it is what, what basically powers their whole businesses. So we are in really good terms with them. We speak a lot with them. Um, we also have a platform, you know, where they can ask us things, you know, through the platform. Um, and now we're just starting to deploy, uh, you know, a customer success tool, a customer support tool. Um, we're actually speaking with with your team over there to, to bring more data and, and you know, like, let's see, make it less, you know, uh, expertise dependent and more like data driven because yeah, we can have a bunch of these calls, but like we're approaching a point where like we cannot longer speak with all our, all our customers, you know, every week or every month, because there's so many, uh, that we not, we need a platform that can, you know, collect all our data for us. I, I love it. But, you know, I think the, the coolest thing that I'm hearing from you is just like the, the blocking and tackling, like you're just before you even had, you, you've grown so fast. And it's been all about focusing on the customer. Like that's all I've heard from this whole interview is like, yeah. we understand the founders better than anyone else. That's how we validate what a good idea is. That's how we built out our product roadmap. But the way of doing that is going to change and have to get more scalable as you grow. And I know you're kind of in those growing pains right now, but at the end of the day, you're still doing it just like laser on the customer and everything is, is about that. I, 100%. I really, I really appreciate that. Is there any, um, is there any other insight that you want to just share around like kind of your vision over the next three to five years of how you want to, to, to be able to continue to keep that intimacy with the customer that you've described as a founder, but now that you're going to be scaling, it's got to be a lot more challenging. Yeah. I mean, we are over indexing, you know, on, on, on customer success and customer support, right? Because like, we want to be very close to our customers. It's not just about the financing, right? That, that was just the beginning, you know? we are positioning ourselves as almost as like growth partners for these businesses and putting all of their financial operations under the pilot, right? Like if you ask 
a thousand founders what they hate the most about and what they spend the most about uh, what they spend um, most of the time in in the businesses is just making sure that they have the cash there needed to grow the business and it's just annoying it has zero value but it needs to be done right so our goal is to put all of that on autopilot so that founders can just focus on what really matters which is creating a product and then putting that product in the hands of customers and keeping them happy. All the rest should be automatic. And we think that it can happen automatically on captures. And the way we are crafting these relationships with the customers that are so close is through first offering them financing and then solving more and more pains in the businesses. Right, so five to seven years from now, what we see is that you know, founders will incorporate their companies. They will you know, um, create a QuickBooks account, create a captures account, and then just focus you know, on growing the business and serving, sorry, on, on growing the product, building a product, and then shipping that to customers and keeping them happy. Mm, that's really good. Yeah, I, 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 I'm excited to see the growth and just how you continue to do what you're already doing, man. And, and I love how just the intimacy with the customer, that's my biggest takeaway, yeah. that we, we know these things, we hear these things, but being able to do it MVP and then being able to scale as you're, as you're talking about, so that you can, so you can just be solving for a much bigger pain than, than just like um, the one thing that you initially started with. And the only way to get there, it sounds like from your perspective is, is to be able to, to stay that close to them. So I'm, I'm really interested. I'm curious, just like on another note, as you, when you reach out to uh, companies as a consumer or as, you know, now that you have, I'm sure you're working with a lot of tools, what is your, favorite channel that you reach out to them on if you have a, a problem or, or challenge is it is it email is it is it uh instagram or is it whatsapp or is it do you call them do you i'm just like curious if you have a problem how you reach out so, so to our to our suppliers or to our customers exactly to your suppliers if, I, if i'm close to them i just text them you know uh text them or or whatsapp them um, if not, like if I'm not close to them and they're like massive companies, then I just like put a ticket, um, you know, but like the, 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 how companies react to those tickets really depends. I think that, uh, the ones that are really quick to reply and really quick to solve, they are the ones that I find myself like going back to more often. And when I just like ask for help and see nothing on the other end, that to me is usually like a, like not consciously, but sometimes it means like, hey, I don't want to work with this company anymore. I should go to somebody that values me as much as I value my customers, basically. That's so good. The speed to you. Yeah. Is yeah. And I mean, I think that's kind of just the world that we live in. You gotta be quick. Uh, but I love how you said, like, I'll just text them because it, it, it there's something so light about just that quick text, like just help me with this thing as opposed to the heavier feeling of a ticket. And I love yeah. when customers text me too. It's, it's amazing, right? Because it's, it's almost like, who do you, you think about it, who do you text, right? You text your family, you text your friends, you text your partner, you know? And then when customers start texting you, it's like, hey, like maybe I'm more than just like a, a business relationship, right? I, I'm actually like helping them. So, oh, that's so good. We, we've continually found that it's in us actually, like just how much, how much text has increased over time. And we we actually now have it where you can, put your forward the text messages to the actual Zendesk system. So you can still systematically deliver that experience. Oh, but, but yeah. I, it's funny how we, we keep seeing that. And I, I, I know that there's gotta be a guard because like you, we can't scalably as founders uh, do that for too long, but yet it's, it's kind of a compliment, right? <laughs> exactly. 
That's, that's awesome. Well, as we close up just uh, two more questions, what's, what's your favorite book? Maybe one of the most inspiring ones for you as just a, a CEO growing the company. Yeah. Well, I think let's see my favorite book. I don't, I think I have a favorite, but I really like uh, one called the, the everything store. It's about Amazon and about the initial days of Amazon. And I think that the key takeaway for me there was how, when Amazon, first of all, like how the grander vision was pretty much what's becoming today, Amazon, right? But Jeb was really able to understand what was the ways, you know, where to start with, you know, something that could be easily shipped, that couldn't be broken, that doesn't need to be, you know, like it doesn't expire, you know, I start with books, right? To become, you know, the everything store. But then the, I think the main takeaway for me wasn't that, that was the second takeaway. The main takeaway was how Amazon has been very successful at developing systems to serve themselves internally and then shipping them out to consumers and making them insanely huge. You know, like that goes from logistics, you know, from like gig economy drivers, it's gone. Uh, I, I, and the most important one, of course, is AWS, where they developed this system to run the warehouses. And now it is the largest cloud provider in the world. That's, that's incredible. And, you know, I read that book as well. And my, it kind of, when, when you read the title, right, it kind of goes against the point that you were making initially around yeah. focus, yeah. because I was like, this can't be it. How can you be the everything store? You're not focusing on one thing. <laughs> but um, I think, I think there's a lot of other caveats in that as well. But I, I love that book as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And then if you could invite someone to a dinner party, who would you invite and why? Maybe it's Jeff, maybe it's someone else. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> let's see. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not possible anymore, right? But I think I would love to invite um, Muhammad Ali. I think he was just every interview that I've seen. I, 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 was, I was boxing for like three, four years before, before I got into the US as an amateur, like never competed or anything. It was just for fun. But I've seen a lot of videos and every time he spoke, he had this charisma and he was able to draw huge amounts of people because he was just like so funny, so intelligent and, and then a true leader, you know, for the time. So I would love to have a, a dinner with him. He, I'm not sure if he would accept, but I would love to, to, to go have dinner with him. Um, I mean, I'm sure he would accept. That's, that's really <laughs> cool. Is there, what, what would be some of the, is there a question you could give me that you would ask him? I'm just like curious. I don't know. Like, I mean, that guy was like the, greatest champion of his time and he still found a lot of time to focus on like social topics that were pressing at the moment you know he was able to stand up for what mattered so yeah i kind of understand hey like how to prioritize you know things that are maybe like not not dependent or like knowing the like the output is not gonna be for himself like how to prioritize those uh versus you know like training or like success or whatever that's so good man well Thank you so much for sharing your story. I've learned so much. I'm sure our audience has really enjoyed it as well. Thank you, Adam. Isn't it a pleasure? It's been so much fun. Absolutely. Nice to meet you. Thank you. Boom. Bye-bye. Like